I'm delighted to introduce Matt, uh, uh, who's going to be coming up to preach this morning. Uh, he's one of our up-and-coming uh, preachers. Matt's a great guy. This is a, his first time preaching here at King's. He's been part of uh, our preaching development sort of team that's been meeting with Rich recently, and uh, he's done a sort of full run-through of his message to Al, and I've heard some really good uh, things from it, so I'm excited to hear what he's going to bring. I remember the first time I preached, uh, which was at, at this church, and I didn't get any sleep the night before. Um, so we're going to give him a really big welcome, partly just to make sure he's awake more than anything else. Uh, so let's really welcome Matt as he comes up to speak. guys is this all right yeah good should we pray yeah oh god we pray you um open our hearts to hearing your word pray you send your spirit this morning without your spirit these words are just powerless they're meaningless i pray you come in your power and you speak through your word this morning yes god help me help me to speak with wisdom help me to speak with clarity as we try and give your message in jesus name amen Right, if you could turn to Luke 13:34, If you don't have a Bible or a phone, it'll come up behind me. And I'll read it out. O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, and you were not willing. That's it. Um, <laughs> you might be hoping for a bit more and maybe um, we're not going on is, that's a bit of an odd verse to pick Matt why that one um, truth is a couple of months ago Rich kind of gave me this verse or a couple of verses to talk on I thought it was pretty random as well um, but then the more I actually read about it the more I read around it the more I prayed on it and dwelt on it I felt God really started to stir something in me really started to speak to me through it um, especially with this idea of gathering you see all through time since the fall of Adam, God has been trying to gather people back into his kingdom. He's been trying to gather people back. He's been trying to welcome them into his family. First he sent his judges, then he sends his kings, then he sent his prophets. And time and time again, they just rejected them. They didn't want to know about it. And so eventually God sends his very own son, and they killed him. So what's this verse got to say? Well, we're at the end of Luke 13, and it's this whole dialogue from Jesus about the kingdom of God. Um, earlier on in the chapter, Jesus is talking about the kingdom of God. He says it's like a, a mustard seed. He says it grew and became a tree and the birds of the air made nests in its branches. And then he tells us um, straight after, it was like leaven. Um, he compares it to leaven. He says, oh, it's like leaven. We call it yeast, I guess. Um, often it has quite a negative connotation. But Jesus uses it a positive here. He said the kingdom of God is something that was going to influence. Because leaven, yeast, when you put it into the loaf, it makes it grow, it makes it rise. So... Just with the mustard seed, he's saying it's comparatively small, but it's got the ability to completely transform that around us. Um, it's going to bloom ours. It's going to be a living thing. It's providing life to others. And then straight after our passage, we skip our verse. Straight after, he's talking about the kingdom of God. He likens it to a feast. And then straight after that, he likens it to a banquet. So the message seems pretty clear. that The kingdom is to be something alive. It's going to be vibrant. It brings life. It brings joy, restoration. But what I find particularly interesting here, Jesus isn't just talking about something uh, for the sake of it. I mean, it could just be theories. He's given a lot of illustrations. He's helping us understand what this kingdom's going to be like. And he could just leave it there. 
but he doesn't. You see, to him it's a very real subject. Right in the middle of this whole dialogue about the kingdom of God, he suddenly breaks down in lament. Now, you don't do that if it's just a theory. But to him it was real. He can't just detach it from reality and the effect it has on us. So neither should we. So with this kingdom theme just before our verse, with the kingdom theme straight after our verse, it's a fair assumption that our verse is about the kingdom of God, or if you prefer, the family of God. And we're just going to go through it, asking three questions which might naturally be raised from it. So question one, what sort of a kingdom is it? Paul, an apostle, he tells us in Romans 14 that the kingdom of God, uh, should come up, there we go, kingdom of God is a matter of righteousness, it's a matter of peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. So we're going to take these backwards. Joy first. What's joy? Um, Peter tells us elsewhere that we can have and enjoy and experience a joy inexpressible, unspeakable and full of glory. It's not a normal word, is it, joy? Chances are when you go back to work tomorrow morning or you're doing the school run and you uh, see the other parents at school and you ask the classic question, oh, how was your weekend? They're unlikely to say, oh, you know what? It was full of joy. Oh, I'd love to try and explain it to you, but it's joy inexpressible. I just can't. It was that good. They don't, do they? It's, not, it's just not how people talk. Joy isn't really something that comes into their vocab. So what is it? Well, some people might suggest, you know, it's a happiness. It's like a like really happy, like an intense happiness. It doesn't, maybe, uh, maybe they'd say, oh, you know, like you've just found out your exam results, you've actually passed, um, or that you've just won the league, or you're going out partying. It's this, this is joy to them. But it doesn't quite go far enough. It's, joy is a lot deeper because happiness is affected by the things happening around you. It's affected by your happenings. Joy doesn't have to be. You see, the, the Christians in the New Testament, they, um, it says of them that they welcome the message in the midst of severe suffering and, and here it is, the joy given by the Holy Spirit. Now, if you're severely suffering, then your happiness is going to be severely affected. But your joy doesn't need to be. Why? Well, the answer is in Psalm 16. It says, in your presence, there is fullness of joy. And that's it. That's joy. Being in God's presence. That's why when you neglect God or you don't spend time with him, you stop reading your Bible, you start getting miserable. Because when you cut out God, you're cutting out the source of joy. You've cut yourself off. Being in his presence, is that's how we get fullness of joy. When I was a teenager, I uh, went to New Day, uh, which some of you might... If you don't know, it's basically just a Christian camp for teenagers. There's about six to 7,000 of us. Um, you spend morning and evening worshipping and maybe go to a seminar in the middle of the day. And after a few days of being there, you started noticing there was a buzz about the place. Because people have been spending time in God's presence. You could leave a meeting in the evening and you're walking back to your uh, respective tent sites. And suddenly there's just this chatter. There's this sense of awe and wonder. Why? Because people have been spending time in God's presence. Do you want this? Jesus only asks one thing. He says, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. But are you thirsty? Christians, have you lost your thirst? We can't afford to really lose our hunger and our desire for joy in the Holy Spirit. Because Jesus died that we could actually delight in this joy. But we've got to be thirsty for it. Okay, well, second one, peace. Puritan once said, and Ryan's probably getting a bit bored of hearing me say this now, but Puritan said, joy is peace dancing. Peace is joy resting. So what's peace? 
Is it some type of internal quiet like some religions might claim? Is it when your mind is free of all thought or all negative thought, then you're at peace? Is it that we should all just get along? Um, is it just the absence of wars when we stop fighting, then we're at peace? I, um, I work in Brighton. I wander around during my lunch breaks um, and I witnessed two buskers fighting over a prime spot. And uh, this lady wanders past and she just starts saying, guys, sort it out. Just peace and love, peace and love, guys, sort it out. But she keeps walking, she doesn't even stop, she doesn't even look at these guys. I thought, well and good, you've not exactly brought much peace to this place. You're just telling people peace. That doesn't really work. It's a popular idea, peace and love, but it doesn't really bring it about. They're just saying the words doesn't bring it. Emptying your mind doesn't bring peace either. Because peace is actually a thing in and of itself. It's a positive thing. I.e., it's, it's not just an absence of something, it is a thing. Peace, and here's our definition, peace is when you're content in all situations. Whether life's going well or bad, you're not anxious about tomorrow. If you're getting frustrated, you don't get angry about it, you don't try and take matters into your own hand, but you're content. Paul says, I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation. And it's that. It's not natural, is it? He said, I had to learn it. I've learned the secret of being content in any situation. Again, peace isn't really a word we often use. Um, if I were to ask you, what's a peaceful day? What's that look like? You might say, oh, it's a day at a remote beach. Or maybe it's a walk in the countryside where it's really tranquil and no one else is about. Maybe it's just a day without the kids. Maybe it's a day without work or work deadlines. Maybe it's just an afternoon in your house for the cuppa and you just feel really at peace. But that doesn't really cut it for me. I mean, there's nothing wrong with this. I like a walk in the countryside as much as the next person. I've got my National Trust membership to prove it. But Paul, when he's talking about being content, he can't just nip down to the beach. Now, he's in prison, which is not exactly a pleasant place to be in first century AD, is it? But he's in prison. Now, he can't, he can't just get some quiet. He can't escape. His whole external environment is controlled. It's dictated to him by the prison keepers, by the Roman soldiers. So how is he able to say, oh, I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation? He's a man who's been beaten almost to the point of death. He's been threatened. He's been kicked out of his previous social circle and rejected by them. He's now in prison. And now he's suddenly saying, I find myself content. And here's how. You see, in the New Testament, the word peace is often coupled with grace. At the beginning of most of Paul's letters, he says, grace and peace be to you, grace and peace be to you, grace and peace. It's always getting coupled together. Why is that? Well, it's because grace is how I get the peace. Peace comes from grace. Peace comes from the grace and the love and the mercy of God. So it's a simple question. Can you say that you feel peace? Can you say that you're content in any situation? Just imagine if everyone in this country could say that. Sadly, this isn't the case. I looked up on uh, the Samaritan Charities website and on their latest report, some of the results showed that um, in England and the UK, female suicide rates are at the highest in a decade. Male rates remain consistently higher than female suicide rates across the UK and the Republic of Ireland. Most notably, it's five times higher in Ireland and three times higher in the UK. Whatever your conclusion about that, it's not that people are content, is it? Or maybe I bring it close to home. A couple of prayer meetings ago, I was walking home just around the corner. 
As I got to the road just there, um, a car pulls in. And I thought this was a bit odd. It's a Wednesday night, it's 10 o'clock, it's dark. It's not a residential road, it's just a quiet road. So why have they suddenly stopped? And as I catch up to the car, I look inside. And what I saw surprised me and shocked me because there was a woman pouring herself a bottle of wine into a can just that she could drive and drink at the same time without getting detected. And that's not right, is it? That's tragic. Now, chances are, you meet her the next morning, she's going to say she's fine. She'll, she'll try and ensure you she's fine. But she's not, is she? We're not a content nation. But Christians, we've got this message. You see, the Christian, because of Christ, can say because of his grace, because of his love, because of his mercy, I'm at peace. In the midst of the battles of life, whether I'm in need or whether I have plenty, I know my God can and will provide and protect me. That's amazing, isn't it? To be in the kingdom of God, to experience this joy, to experience this peace, it's not to be taken for granted. But then there's righteousness. And this is the one which is often quite unpopular. You see, it's impossible to enjoy these two, peace and joy, without righteousness. Righteousness comes first. It's first on Paul's list. The kingdom of God is full of righteousness and righteous people. So why is it so unpopular? I think it's maybe because it exposes to us that we might not actually be part of this kingdom. It's the one that potentially excludes us. You see, you talk to me about joy. I'm like, great, I want that. I want some of that. Talk to me about that. Let's, let's get some joy. Peace, I'm, I'm up for that. I'd like The more the merrier. I'd really, really fancy some peace right now. Righteousness, oh, great. I don't, don't really want to talk about that. That one exposes me. That one, that one I can't really achieve. But it's the first on his list. See, the other two, peace and joy, they're things to enjoy about the kingdom. Bible elsewhere, they call them fruits of the spirit. You can't enjoy them and fully achieve them without the spirit. But righteousness, it's a, it's a slightly different ballgame. It's more of a requirement. In fact, in Hebrews 1, it says, we're told that um, God anoints righteousness with joy. It's the requirement, it's the righteous that are enjoying this joy. If we compare it to the kingdom here, if I'm part of the British kingdom, if I want to stay part of the British kingdom, I have to obey its law. I have to abide by the law. And as long as I do that, I get to enjoy its freedom. I get to enjoy the right to vote. I get to enjoy the civilization. If I break that law, say I rob a bank, then... I get excluded from it, I get put in prison, I no longer enjoy this freedom, I no longer enjoy the kingdom as I could have done before. Similarly, if we want to be part of this kingdom of God, then we have to obey its law, and its law demands that we're righteous. No righteousness, no citizenship. And it's as simple as that. But bear with me, because righteousness is good. <laughs> to be righteous, not just, not just holier than thou, but imagine if everyone was absolutely righteous. That everyone, instead of just going for their own gain, that they were just seeking their own gain, they were actually spending all their time and effort into serving others. Imagine instead of, instead of everyone just being violent and there was evil, that there was just pure peace. Instead of sadness and mourning, there was pure joy. Instead of truth, instead of, well, there was truth. Instead of lying and deceit, there is truth. <laughs> A righteous kingdom is a good kingdom. It's the kind of place we'd like to be. I think it's great. I'd love to be part of that if it didn't exclude me. But this is the issue, because by myself, I'm far from righteous. By myself, I know I'm not meant to be a part of that place. I can't, can't achieve that law. It's just, it's beyond me. I want the peace, I want the joy. But I know I don't fit in with the righteousness of that place. Now hold that thought. 
see, what about the ruler of the kingdom? And that's our second point. There we go. The ruler. If I go to another country, I'm going to want to know at least something. I'm going to have a vague understanding of who calls the shots over there. Not many of us pack our bags to go to a, a war zone or somewhere like, I don't know, like North Korea. Because it's not, why? Because of the way it's ruled. Because you know it's not going to be a great place. The way a country's run, the air of that country affects whether we want to be a part of it. So it's understandable maybe to want to know just a bit about the ruler of this kingdom. And don't worry, it's actually a good thing. So let's read what a verse has to say about it. We're starting off with, how often would I have gathered? Before we even go on, how often would I? First few times I read this, I kept overlooking the significance of Jesus saying, how often would I? Because as far as Jerusalem are concerned, he's saying, oh, Jerusalem, how often would I have gathered? And saying, hold on, throughout the Gospels, you're barely even in Jerusalem. You've got very few dealings with us. How can you say, how often, how often? I kept trying to gather you. He doesn't really deal with them much. But then you suddenly realize throughout the whole Old Testament, God is spending every chance trying to gather his people back into him. And then once you realize this, Jesus is now suddenly putting himself on a par with God. When he's saying, how often would I have gathered? He's saying, I was part of it that every time God tries to bring you back in, I'm part of that. And so we've got a man who's at Easter referred to himself as God the son of the highest, and who in the very same breath seems to find it fitting to stoop down and liken himself to a hen. So what's this illustration got to tell us? It says, How often would I have gathered your children as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings? You were not willing. We've got Jesus longingly pouring out his heart. And we've just got four short points about the ruler of this kingdom. The first one, safety. Imagine... The scenario, there's a hawk in the sky, but the mother bird, she, she can see them. The little chicks, they can't. So the mother bird gives a cluck of warning. I'm not going to do the impression, but she gives the cluck of warning. And all the, all the chicks come scurrying in, and they quickly come, and they hide beneath her wings. And under her wings, they're secure. And this is what God is to those who give themselves to Christ, who come to Christ. He is the giver of safety. Psalm 91 tells us, he shall cover you with his feathers, and under his wings shall you trust. His truth shall be your shield and armour. It says your shield and armour. So it doesn't stop the harm coming away, but the shield, it protects you from it. It's almost like the other side of peace earlier, safety, is uh, it's God providing the peace. And then second, we've got comfort. Imagine again, it's a cold night, and these chicks are going to freeze if they remained outside by themselves. But she calls them in, and again, I'm not going to do the impression, but she calls them in, and when they're under her wings, they protect her. They protect the chicks. See, the rain can pelt down, the snow can do what it wants to do. But under their wings, under her wings, they're safe, they're protected, they're warm. And when you come to Christ, you not only have safety, but you've got comfort too. And I can speak from experience. There's a deep comfort about hiding yourself away in God, about casting all your burdens on him. And this isn't the prosperity message. If some of you are getting worried, you're making it sound a little too attractive. Dial it down a bit. No, no, no. I mean that to come into the presence of God brings such comfort. To know that whatever's come my way during the day that I can rest in God, whether I've suffered injustice, that I can know my God is going to one day make all things right, that I can give it to him, that I can cast it to him. When you're anxious or stressed about tomorrow and your work, or whether you're worried about how your kids are getting on with school, 
Or how are you going to afford the next set of bills? To know that I can cast all of that on God, that's a great deep comfort. And to know he's in control, to know he provides, that he intercedes. A few weeks back, I was on a job in Swansea, and uh, with Jeff, um, I had a really frustrating day before he arrived, didn't I? <laughs> really, really, really frustrating day. Nothing was going right. And we only had a week there. The deadline was getting nearer and nearer. And I was just like, how am I going to get this done? Nothing's going right. And the manager on the job, again, not chef, but just said, don't worry. We'll just go for a meal. We'll have a beer. It'll be fine. So we go, oh, we have a meal. We have a beer. And I felt relaxed. But then the next day it got even worse and I got even more frustrated and the deadline's even cl- like closer now. And I was like, why won't anything get done? I'm getting even more and more frustrated. And again, the manager, same advice sadly, I'll just have a meal, just have a beer, be fine. And then I had the meal, had the beer, and I was like, no, I'm still frustrated. This only really works once, doesn't it? But then I got back to the hotel room and I just put on some worship music, whatever YouTube brought up. So I wasn't expecting it, but then suddenly the lyrics, worthy as the lamb, came on and as I was praying I just felt the burden just lift because I was so focused on God as I focused on this worthy lamb someone so much greater than me my perspective was massively changed as I focused and as I prayed to him I was suddenly aware that he is a sovereign God it's all in his hands he's in control to know that this is the kind of comfort you can experience as a child of God okay well third we've got fountain of love See, the mother, she loves her chicks. Have you ever seen a hen fight for her chickens? Did some uh, pretty serious research for this one. And uh, looking on YouTube, just type in hen attacks animals or hen protects babies. And uh, yeah, they're pretty violent creatures. They're, uh, they're vicious. They'll go for it. They're like, they'll take on a dog. They'll take on a cat. Even though it's twice their size, they'll go for it. Why? Because her heart is devoted to her chicks. Likewise with Christ, you never say, oh, no one loves me. Oh, my heart just aches for that love that would, that would fill and satisfy. No, because the love of God, that fills your heart. That, until it overflows, until you feel content. In Christ, you have someone that gave up everything for you. In Christ, you have someone who proved how much he loved you and that he died for you. Now, I'm going to be honest. Chances are you're not going to find anyone, whoever you are, that's going to die for you and prove it like that. In Christ, you have it. Christ, no matter what the day throws at you, you know you're loved. In Christ, he died for everyone to see. And there's no taking that back. He made sure it was public. He couldn't turn back on it. He sacrificed himself because he loves you. And that's never going to change. It's something in history. It can't be undone. Okay, well, finally, we've got cherisher of growth. You see, for these chicks, they wouldn't develop if not taken care of. In their weakness, they need to be cherished. They need to uh, be cherished in order to come to the fullness of their perfection. When a child lives near to God and lives near to Christ and hides beneath his wings, they start to grow fast. This is true of people sitting here. I hope it's not patronizing to say, but you see they haven't been Christians long and yet they've grown fast. I've heard some people say, oh, isn't it amazing how God's worked in Colin? He's not been a Christian long, but he gets it. God's blessed him into a mature Christian. Why? Because he loves to pray. He loves spending his time with God. There's a passion with Colin, you notice it. (laughs) He wants to spend time with God. And that makes him grow. It's turned into a mature Christian. Likewise with Christ, we get this. If you're spending time with him, he loves to help you grow. He loves to put um, input into you. 
Okay, so our final point. How can we enjoy all these blessings illustrated here? Don't forget, it's actually God's desire for us to enjoy them. It's Jesus, the one saying, oh, how often I would have gathered you. He's the one that wants to be it. It wasn't, it wasn't when he's saying, oh, how often I would have gathered. He's not just saying, oh, you know, I would have tried, uh, but I just didn't think it would work because I didn't think he'd let it, so I just didn't really bother. No, 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 no. Jesus was extremely proactive. Jesus came with a very clear message. He says, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And then he keeps saying this throughout his ministry, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And then his apostles straight after him, they take on the exact same message. They say repent. Even John the Baptist before him says repent. Literally word for word, look it up if you want to. Word for word, John the Baptist says repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. He's called to repent, Jesus is called to repent. It was kind of his gathering mantra. It's like him saying, oh, how often I would have gathered you, how I wished you would repent, how I wished you would turn away from your life. And follow me, that you would trust in me, that you would trust in my sacrifice. But you would not. How often he called out. How often he calls out still. How often he wants to gather. So how do we become a part of this kingdom? It's just two words, the cross. Remember where we started. God has been trying to gather people for millennia. He sent his kings, he sent his prophets. And eventually he sent his son and they killed him. But they didn't realise the victory they were bringing in when they killed him. You see, at the cross, Jesus was paving the way for his righteousness to be your righteousness. For his joy to be your joy. At the cross, he was paving the way so that his peace could be your peace. His desire to pour out these blessings of joy, of safety, of love, of comfort, they're still the same as they were then. Jesus was obeying the law of that kingdom on your behalf. His righteousness now means that it can be your righteousness. He's done it for you, that you can now be a part of this kingdom. As I say, his desire is still the same. But do we want them? Do we want this peace? Do we want this joy? Do we want this comfort? Do we want this safety? Do we want this righteousness? If you're a Christian and you're not feeling these blessings, you say, oh, well and good that you've talked about them, but I don't get them. I am a Christian and I don't feel peace. Pray for them. Be prayed for them. They're yours to be had. Jesus died that you could enjoy them. That's what the sacrifice was for. If you're not a Christian, then I urge you, Jesus wants to gather you. He wants to reveal himself to you. He says, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and will eat with that person and they with me. If you feel that God is working in you and you want to be prayed for, or you want to respond, or you want to chat with someone, then come down to the front, to the right. I'm sure someone will be more than willing to do that with you. Shall we pray? God, I pray you... um, I pray you breathe upon this word, make it real to us, make it real in our lives. May we experience more of this peace, may we experience more of this joy. Make it real to us, God. We want them to be more than just words, we want them to be something that is real. God, we thank you that you did this, that we can now enjoy them. We thank you for sending your son, that we can now know you. In Jesus' name, amen.